0: I've been talking about passion this year. And the text is Ecclesiastes 9 and 7 from the message, a translation by Eugene Peterson. It simply says, seize life. Boy, look at the passion in that. And then in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, we read, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Turn to somebody and say, we do have a great high priest. Would you do that? That is, passed into the heavens Jesus, the Son of God. That's who our high priest is. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The writer is telling us that we have a high priest that we can touch. Which was, as I've already pointed out, unusual in this sense that the high priest of the Old Testament, you could not touch him or he could be ceremonially defiled and made unclean and therefore rendered unfit to fulfill his ministerial obligations to the nation. He couldn't even go to his own wife's funeral, for heaven's sake. This high priest we can touch. The reason the first one you couldn't is his grace was limited. Reason you can touch the second one. Oh, you just can't use up all the stuff he's got. Oh, amen. Amen. And there will be a time in your life when you will come to what the writer says is a time of need. And you need to find grace then to help in time of need. And that time of need can be a catastrophe because we live in a fallen world. It's ruled by a fallen Lord. And God knows there are catastrophic events that we don't plan for. man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's this fallen world we live in. That's it. But your time of need can be something else. It may not be a great, great catastrophe. The other day, Jerry and I drove up to a drive through and we, there were a couple of dollars there in the console. She picked them up. I was buying a soda, and we needed some coins, so I started to rummage looking for some coins, she said, oh, that's okay, I have some in my purse. Maybe you just need a few coins to get what you're wanting. Am I making any sense? There's something you want, but you don't have all there is yet working for you, and you need a little help in time of need to get to the next level. Whatever that help may be, whether that's catastrophic help, help in times of a disaster, or just help reaching the next level. We're supposed to come boldly to the throne knowing that our high priest is available and we can move him to act in our circumstance. So I've been talking about incredible keys to incredible breakthroughs. And I've done a study, did it years ago, of all these different things people did and as you study the Bible, you will find there were many people that had breakthroughs. And you will find they were so dissimilar in many ways. Some were rich. Some were poor. Some were pagans and not even believers. I'm serious, pagans. I'm not making that up. They were absolutely pagans, and yet they had breakthroughs. Can you imagine that? God, in his audacity, actually helped somebody that's a sinner. Amen and walks right around sometimes some of those of us, dare I say this, who are born-again believers, amen, and gives that pagan fellow some help while we're still standing over there struggling and waiting on God to come help us out. Oh, We we don't always understand the ramifications of all of that. And whenever we look at this, we realize that some of them were known, Others, their names are not even recorded in the Bible at all. But there were a few things they had in common, as I've already shared. They had great passion. They had a clear vision of where they were supposed to be. And they worked out a strategy to get there. And the strategy, each one of them was different because their situations were different. And I've looked at this, and I want, I've been talking to you about incredible keys to incredible breakthroughs. I'll just say this. You know the best time to develop a strategy for a breakthrough? It's before you need one. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak a word to us today. Help us by letting your word come alive in our hearts and in our hearing in a way that will transform us, renew us, and empower us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Limitless. I often have to say this when I'm speaking, uh, particularly if I refer to something I saw that came out of Hollywood. Now, most of the movies I see, I see on an airplane. And that means they're greatly edited, so a lot of the bad stuff's cut out, but I don't always know that that bad stuff is in there. So I just need to tell you up front that sometimes I see movies on the plane, and you might have seen the same version in the theater and wondered how your pastor can see it. Well, it's greatly edited on the airplane. Seriously speaking, they are. And there's always a few scenes and a few choice words thrown in there that we would prefer as believers they not use. But you don't expect Hollywood to produce a movie that's going to necessarily be palatable to believers, do you? They're pagans and that's what they're going to produce is pagan material. But I did see a movie that inspired me. It was some time ago, and the movie starred a couple of people that I enjoy watching. Robert De Niro is one of them. And the other is a guy, younger guy named Bradley Cooper. And the movie is entitled, and was entitled, Limitless. The thesis of the movie is this, is that most people never explore their full potential, never live it out. And there was a chemist that developed a chemical formula that they put into a peel, that when you took that peel, activated whatever untapped resources of the human intellect there were that were not being used in you, that were available, and blew them out and awakened them that they were fully active. And I watched that movie and I was enthralled because while I don't believe that they will ever develop a chemical or a peel that would make that happen i do believe that's the theology behind the infilling of the holy spirit oh come on help me out now i've been using i've been i've been keying off the verse 1 Corinthians 3 and 3 where the apostle paul is ch- castigating the church at corinth for becoming fractionalized and divided and he says, when you do that, he said, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And as I've already pointed out, well, how do you expect us to Paul, uh, to act, Paul? We are mere men. No, what it seems to indicate is that the Apostle Paul believed that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're no longer a mere human being. You don't have the same ceiling that other people have. He says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, listen to this. Therefore, if anyone, I don't care who it is, is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Anybody, that could be you, your brother, your sister, me, the person nobody thinks is capable, in Christ, all of that changes. All things have passed away. And while it's comforting to know old things means our sins, our weaknesses, and our failures, that's not all that it means. Old limitations fell off too. And how do I know that? Because of the next phrase, all things. You hear that? Not just my life, all things. Not just a new beginning, all things have become new. Paul seemed to believe that as a result of being filled with Christ's Spirit and born again, we could do so much more than those who are not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Listen to him in Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I used to not be able to do everything, but now that I've got Christ on the inside, I can do all things. You see, one of the tests of truth is if a statement is really true, the opposite of that statement is going to make that apparent. And if Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, what he's saying is is that without Christ, I cannot do everything. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. He literally believed that as believers we were limitless. Amen. This is clearly what Jesus taught Jesus didn't just come here to walk among us and live here and then save us from our sins and leave us to live as mere mortals until he comes back or we die. John 14 and 12, his disciples were standing there with their mouths agape as they watched him heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. I'm telling you, multiply fishes and loaves, walk on water and Jesus said, you think this is something? Most assuredly, or which means you can bet on this, you can take it to the bank. other words, write it down, remember it, italicize it, underline it. I say unto you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater than these shall he do because I go to my Father. Limitless, Amen. A dimension beyond human ability, beyond human intellect, beyond human reasoning, beyond human talent, beyond human skill sets, that when you get the God of the universe living on the inside of you changes the game entirely. Amen. Mark 9 and 23, Jesus said, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. All things. Some things, no. All things, if you're a believer, all things are possible. Faith taps into the limitless power of a limitless God to make possible things that those who do not trust Christ or have Christ living within can never experience. So back to Paul's statement. Are you not living like mere men, behaving like mere men? Now do you see where he's coming from? As born-again believers, why limit yourself? And so I want to look at some of the things that make breakthroughs happen. We've talked about David's came because of extraordinary spiritual hunger. Abraham's came because of an extraordinary sacrifice. Hannah's because she prayed an extraordinary prayer. Paul and Silas because they offered extraordinary worship. Let's look at a man called the centurion and we will see what caused his breakthrough to take place. Before I do, one reason that I'm giving you so many different strategies is you don't know which one you may someday need. And once again, don't wait until you need it to try to develop it. You not only need a plan A, but you need a plan B, C, D, X, Y, Z. Because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And I'm happy to report to you the Bible is all about strategies to help you live an empowered life. Speaking of strategies, four people on a train sitting facing each other like they do on trains. And in one seat, there was a beautiful woman and her protective grandmother. Sitting opposite from them, there is a military officer and a handsome Young army lieutenant and the military officers, his commanding officer. And so, as they entered a tunnel, suddenly the train is pitch black, and you heard out of the darkness a kiss and a slap. <laughs> the, the beautiful young woman thought to herself, That was a wonderful kiss, but my grandmother must have slapped his face. And he probably thinks I did it and he won't pay attention to me again. The protective grandmother thinks that was a fresh thing for that young man to do, to kiss my granddaughter. I'm sure glad she stood up for herself. that to teach him a lesson. The commanding officer thought, this is terrible. She must have thought that I was the one who kissed her. Wait until I get back to the base. I'm gonna give this young lieutenant a piece of my mind. And the handsome young lieutenant thought, This was my day. I got to kiss a beautiful woman and slap my commanding officer and get away with both. Amen. (laughs) Strategy. You can make some stuff happen in the darkness. Amen. You hear what I'm talking about. And this is what I'm trying to teach. The centurion moved God with extraordinary faith. The story is familiar to us, but allow me to establish context again. The centurion is a Roman soldier that has been tasked by Rome to go to Palestine, Israel, and to keep peace in this territory that they conquered many, many years before. And keep it a part of the Roman Empire. The Jews, because of their understanding of Jehovah God, were a particularly difficult people to rule because they believed in freedom. They knew the God of freedom. But they had fallen into sin and therefore their nation had been captured and so this Roman centurion is, I want to emphasize what he's not. He's not a believer. He is a pagan. He doesn't know the Bible. He wasn't raised with a Bible, never attended a Sunday school class. I'd like to you, for you to realize he never sang in the church choir, never served as an usher in the church. This was a pagan. He is in a land that is known as the land of the people of the book. The people here have had an uninterrupted history of religion. Relationship with God that stretches all the way back to Abraham 2,000 years before. But he's now serving in this country. And he believes in multiple gods, and he has all of his his history, employment history, has been with the military. He's done well enough for himself that he's become, as the Scripture says, a centurion. You don't start there. You start out at a lowly rank. A centurion, the word from which we get the same root word that we get our word century from, means 100. He had grown in his leadership to the point that there were 100 men assigned to his command. He in turn answered to men over him but the men under him responded to his authority. He sees something in Jesus that nobody else there is seeing. He understands that what he's seeing because his frame of reference is the military and he doesn't have any Bible knowledge. He sees Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demonic spirits and the only way he can understand this is to understand it from his frame of reference I've got authority over a hundred I'm tasked by Rome as their representative here Christ has been tasked by God as his representative in the earth he has authority and there's something going on in the spirit dimension and when he speaks whoever these spirits are they listen to him You see, though the man was a pagan, he did believe in spirits and did believe in a spirit dimension. Let me tell you, never allow anybody to tell you the spirit world is not real. I wish somebody in the building would say, amen, And he comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, my servant is sick. He doesn't even ask Jesus to go home with him. And Jesus volunteers to go home because Jesus is going to make a point. He already knows how this is going to turn out, but nobody else there there does. So Jesus is setting it up, as it were. And he says, I'll go home with you. And the man said, oh, no, it isn't necessary because I'm a man under authority. You see that? I got some commanding officers that tell me what to do, and I go do it. And I recognize you've got authority, and you're a commanding officer. And all these spirits out here, all of these demons, sicknesses, everything else, even death, are subject to you. So you just speak the word. I've got, I've got soldiers I tell to go and they got to go. And you just tell this sickness to go and it's got to leave. It's just that simple. You just speak the word. And Jesus stopped and said, isn't that strange? Here in the land of the people of the book where the people with an uninterrupted history of relationship with God for 2,000 years. And a pagan comes in and understands faith they don't even understand. And he says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Now, the reason that I had to emphasize the fact that the man was a pagan, didn't have a Bible, didn't go to Sunday school, never sang in the choir, never served as an usher, is because I don't want you to think that this is God kind of faith. There are two kinds of faith. And that's the point I need to make. There's human faith, and then there's the God kind of faith. Since the man didn't know anything about God, didn't know God, never had talked to God, wasn't raised in church, it's clear to me, at least, that the man's faith must have been human faith. Amen. What he has learned, he has deduced from watching what goes on in the world around him, the natural world. And so, can somebody say amen right now? In human faith, There are three kinds of faith. So you have the two major kinds of faith are human faith and the God kind of faith. We'll get to the God kind of faith in a moment. But in human faith, there are three different kinds of faith. Number one is prayer answering faith. You don't even have to be saved to have prayer answering faith. Well, come on, help! this man wasn't saved. He had prayer answering faith. Dare you to tell me he didn't. He said, Lord, come, I need my servant healed. He was asking for something and he got it. And he wasn't even a believer. Amen. I know people that don't even serve God. That if their child gets sick will still pray for God to heal him. I know folk that don't even serve God. They're not even here today. And that if they lose a job they pray, God help me get another one. You hear what I'm talking about? If their marriage gets in trouble they pray, God help me and solve this situation. That's prayer answering faith. There's a higher level of human faith. Again, we're still on the three kinds of human faith. The first prayer answering. The second is saving faith. What is saving faith? It's the faith to believe that God can keep you saved after you get saved. You know why they only have prayer answering faith? It's because many of them do not believe that God can keep me saved after I get give my heart to the Lord. Amen. You know why they believe that? Because they know their weaknesses. I'm struggling with this. I tried to get over it last year. I tried to quit. I tried to give it up. I couldn't. I failed. I don't want to go to church and go down and give my heart to God and then make a hypocrite out of myself. And so they don't even come. That, 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 the, Saving faith is a higher level. What they've never learned is when you get saved, you don't keep yourself saved. It's the grace of God that keeps you saved. It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. I'm preaching better than some of you are responding right now. I'm talking about limitless, okay? Maybe you couldn't give it up before you got saved, but after you get saved, you receive power from on high. Amen. You can do all things through Christ who is providing the strength. Your strength was bankrupt. His is not. Your strength was limited. His is not limited. Amen. The third kind of human faith, is not just prayer answering faith, faith to believe that God will keep you saved. The second level, it's also miracle working faith. That's what this man had. He had enough faith to impress Jesus to give him a miracle. Yet you can't tell me this man was born again. That's why I took the time to emphasize it. He didn't learn it in scripture. He didn't learn it in Sunday school. But yet he had enough faith to get a miracle. Not everybody reaches that point, but there are a few every now and then in a church that reach it. You know what I'm talking about. They're usually intercessors that spend a lot of time with God. And when you you may never need them in your life, and I pray you don't. But if you do, you will walk right by everybody else and say, hello, hey, how are you? Can I help you? Can I pray for you? Yeah, you pray for me, but I'm going over here to talk to this one right now. And they make their way to the ones that they know, know where the throne is at and know how to get a hold of God. Amen. Amen. Now, how does that differ from the God kind of faith? The God kind of faith is that faith Paul referred to in his teachings to the church at Corinth when he taught about spiritual gifts. You remember that? He said that that one has the gift of working of miracles and another has the gift of tongues and another has the gift of the interpretation of tongues. And he said to another is given the gift of faith. What is the gift of faith? I think I can explain that for you. The gift of faith is that gift of God's faith to you. First of all, let me point out that whenever God gives you the gift of faith, he's not kicking your human faith up to a steroid level. The reason is it's a gift. He's not human. He's giving you a gift that is not human faith. You follow the logic here? God is a spirit. All right, now what's this. What is the gift of faith? The Bible says in Mark 11 and 22, Jesus said, have faith in God. Only that's not what it really says in the Greek. Did you know that? In the Greek, what it says is have the faith of God. Whoa. And so you either have the choice of having human faith or saying, God, here's my human faith, why don't you give me your faith? Why ask for God's faith? Why have the faith of God instead of increasing human faith? No matter how strong your human faith gets, it will always be limited by a certain degree of doubt. Come on, help me. You say, why? It's because human faith is affected by what you go through. Oh, it's easy to have faith for somebody else. Praise God, brother. Just believe God. I'll pray with you. But when it's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, oh, Lord, it's a different matter then. Amen. Amen. Harder to have faith. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like Brother Brown in Kentucky. This is a joke. It didn't really happen, but it illustrates my point. Brother Brown would walk to church every Sunday. And to get to church, he would have to walk through the hills and through the forest, and he'd come to church. And, of course, bears lived in those woods. And everybody knew Brother Brown was the man of faith. Praise God. You'd meet him. How you doing? Oh, man, I'm a man of faith. I'm full of faith. Praise God. God's good. Ain't nothing can happen to me. I'm a man of faith. And and when something would happen in other people's lives, you just need to believe God, brother. That's what you get rid of your doubt and believe God. You, you know how people can be. One Sunday, he was late coming in, and everybody noticed he wasn't there. And a half hour into the service, he staggers in. His clothes are torn. He's bleeding and scratched, and his hair is disheveled, and he's dirty, and he's gasping for breath. And they said, Brother Brown, what happened to you? He said, I'll tell you what happened to me. He said, I met a bear on the way to church this morning, and I learned something. They said, what's that? He said, faith isn't worth much help in a bear fight. Amen. Amen. When it's you and the bear fight, human faith doesn't help you a whole lot. Are you getting my point? But when you have God's faith, you need to know this, that God's faith is never challenged by what you're walking through. There's never been a time when God ever wondered, can I get through this? Never been a situation that God ever said, I wonder if I can handle it. God was there and looked out over the emptiness of space and spoke the worlds into existence, flung stars from his fingertips. The clouds are the dust of his feet. He measured the waters in the palm of his hand. He created man from the dust of the earth. He knows the beginning from the ending. He is Alpha and Omega at the same time. Oh, let me preach to you right now. And that's why no situation in this world that God made is any match for its creator. God knows everything you're going to ever walk through before you walk through it. He knows what you're going to face before you ever get there. You know something? God is omnipotent. You know what that means? It means he has all power. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything there is to know. There's nothing that he does not know. Oh, Lord, have mercy. He's not only omnipotent and omniscient, he's omnipresent, which means you'll never go through anything that he's not right there in the middle of it with you. Now let me break it down and tell you what that means. That means that he's never seen a situation that made him sweat. He's never faced a problem that made him worry. And you either get to use your faith, which is limited, and is riddled with doubt. And listen to this. You don't believe human faith has doubt in it? Mark 9, 24. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief you know why he's saying help my unbelief that's my family going through it right now that's my son that's getting cast into the fire and in the water oh but there's a dimension where your faith only can go so far and that's limited amen and Paul said why are you behaving like mere men why are you going to act like ordinary human beings When you can be living in the gift of faith, which is what God believes about himself. I need somebody in this building to say limitless. Would you do that right now? Now, I know there are folk that say, show me a verse that says human faith and all. Just some things you need to have enough sense to read. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that unkindly. You just need to realize this is a whole lot like the six blind men trying to describe an elephant. That's right. The first one touched his leg and said, the elephant is like a pillar of a house. And the second man said, no, it's not, because he had a hold of the tail. He said, it's like a rope. And the third said, what's the matter with you other two? He had a hold of the trunk. He said, it's like the thick branch of a tree. And the fourth said, all of y'all are crazy. He had a hold of the ear and said, an elephant is like a giant fan that you cool yourself with in the summertime. And the fifth man said, I don't know what y'all talking about. He's touching the side. He said, an elephant is like a wall. And the sixth guy had a hold of the ivory tusk. And he said, y'all are all wrong. The elephant is like a pipe, amen. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. That somebody that has sight can watch those six blind men and laugh and say you're all partly right and greatly wrong. And this is what it's like because you can't see. But if you could see what I see, you would see the elephant in its entirety. What the gift of faith does is let you see what human faith doesn't allow you to perceive. I've often contended that the disciples asked for the wrong thing when they said, Lord, increase our faith. Eh, Wrong question. Wrong request. What you should have said is, Lord, give us your faith. Give us the gift of faith. Amen. I'm getting ready to close. But this guy had an extraordinary breakthrough because he dared to believe God. Amen. How much more can we experience breakthroughs? He did it at the human faith level. We can do it because we have faith that is limitless. We can access God's very own. And moving on, and I want to add one more of these keys, and then I'm done. Solomon moves God by possessing an extraordinary humility. Oh, yes, he did. Now, in today's world, you're not going to find very many people that have a whole lot of humility. You do know that, don't you? You've heard it said before, blessed is he that toots his own horn, for it shall be well tooted. You know, some people are their own best PR agent. Amen. These days of selfies. What you going to take a picture of yourself for? You don't see your face every day in the mirror? You done forgot what you look like. (laughs) Selfies. Instagram, crackbook, I mean Facebook. (laughs) Twitter. We have never lived in a most more self centered generation than the one we live right now. Or you know it's true. Did you hear about that lady in New York? A man was committing suicide. This is no no joke. This really happened. He's about to jump off a bridge, and she positions herself where she can get him and her. And the guy's about to take his own life. Listen to this. Solomon moved God because he had humility. God came to him, he had just been coronated king, and said, ask anything you want, I'll give it to you. And God basically dangled the key to the candy shop in front of him, and this is what Solomon asked for, 2 Chronicles 1, 10-12, now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have asked not riches, or wealth, or honor, or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but I have asked wisdom and knowledge, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will also give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. God said, because you had humility at a time when it counted, I'm going to give you everything you didn't ask for as well as the wisdom you did ask for. Oh, somebody in the building say amen. And I realize that you have to swim against the tide in today's society to be able to achieve this. I'm serious. I realize that the biblical standard of humility is not something highly prized in today's egocentric world. But you still nonetheless need to realize the way to Brionis and Gucci and Versace is not always asking for it. But it's asking for more of God and asking for a way to serve his people. And God looks down and says, because you ask for the right thing, I'm going to give you the rest too. Come on, help me out. I'll prove it to you. Nothing wrong with having those things. The reason I know there's nothing wrong with it is because God gave it to Solomon. But the reason he gave it to him was because that was not what he was seeking first. He was seeking wisdom to lead God's people to serve. And when you spend your life serving others instead of this You spend your life serving others. God will do miracles for you. You can move into the realm that is limitless. Oh, somebody in the building say hallelujah. You don't have to live like mere men or women. You can live as an empowered child of God. I'm done. The king of Nineveh moved God by taking off his Brioni and putting on sackcloth and ashes. And as a result, he touched God. This is what Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted.